News of the Times. History News Story. Welcome to News of the Times. In today's episode, we are privileged to have with us guest host Benji Weeks. Benji's father served as an officer with the Northumberland Fusiliers during the Korean War, and his personal recollections are dramatically retold by his son. The poppies come out in early November when we remember the hundreds of thousands of men and women who made the ultimate sacrifice at the altar of freedom. Naturally, the focus is on the great wars of the 20th century. These industrial wars massacred on a monumental scale. By comparison, we give little thought to those 20th century conflicts that had an empirical flavour. Kenya, Malaya, Aden, Cyprus, Northern Ireland. While often dismissed as self-serving skirmishes, they delivered their share of sacrifice. And we won't forget these clashes were instigated and exacerbated by regimes that threaten our freedom to this very day. What is more, we fail almost completely to recall that in 1950 the communist powers of China, with its endless supply of men, and the Soviet Union, with its endless supply of modern weaponry, united to defeat the democracies of the West on the Korean Peninsula. Some four million people lost their lives over the three years of this war. Two million of them were the inevitable hapless civilians caught in the crossfire or agonizingly withered by the effects of bellicose devastation. The Chinese suffered most in terms of combat casualties. This is not surprising. Their standard tactic to overwhelm well-armed and deeply dug-in UN troops was to launch wave after wave of massed infantry charges. The generals from 1916 would have approved. Korea itself, divided by a random line on the map and diverse political ideologies, collectively lost a million young men, wounded or missing. Those fighting for the North edged that body count. And in the midst of this Asian slaughter, tens of thousands of men from 14 other nations lost their lives. The bulk of them were from Britain, her Commonwealth and the United States of America. Oft quoted on Remembrance Sunday is the horrific statistic from the first day of the Battle of the Somme. On that day, the British Army lost 57,000 men, killed, missing, wounded or captured. As near as makes no odds, that is the same number of United Nations soldiers killed outright over the three years of the Korean War. Add to that over 100,000 wounded and 10,000 missing, and one comes to understand the scale of this bitter little war. The producers of News of the Time and I are grateful to the trustees of the Northumberland Fusiliers Museum for giving us permission to use excerpts and information gleaned from a book, A Pretty Rough Do Altogether, edited by Anthony Perrins. This book paints a vivid account of the year spent in the peninsula by the regiment's 1st Battalion. The book combines letters home, first-hand accounts of its major battles, the official war diary, and the casualty list.
I have a personal connection with the Northumberland Fusiliers. My father served with them in Korea and was wounded there. Recently commissioned into the now disbanded York and Lancaster Regiment, he joined the Fusiliers as a replacement platoon commander. I gather he volunteered. I am not surprised. I think he was cheesed off to have missed the big show. He spent his military career on secondment to foreign armies in the Congo, Malaya and Borneo. It struck me that if his own army did not have warry things for him to do, he would put his hand up to find one that did. Father joined the Fusiliers in the autumn of 1951. That spring the battalion had gained honour and lost many of its men, fighting on the right flank of the glorious Gloucesters during that regiment's heroic and well-documental battle for survival by the banks of the Imjin River. Having repelled that attack, the UN forces took breath, and by the autumn were ready to make a tentative offensive. Their first task was to clear the high ground north of the Indian River from where the Chinese could shell the vital crossing points. The Fusiliers were tasked of taking Marianne Sang, a small village that capped a hill unimaginatively named Point 217. In a typical display of military humour and common sense, Marianne Sang was given the code name of Newcastle. The three surrounding high points, which had to be taken to secure the position, were codenamed United Football and Club. The Fusiliers launched their attack on the 3rd of October, and Newcastle United Football and Club were secure in Geordie hands some five days later. The records show that Lieutenant Richard Michael Hunter Weeks, my father, was wounded on the 6th of October. And so he must have been, as they say, in the thick of it. He was one of nine officers wounded in the battle. Two other officers were killed, as were 18 other ranks. 86 Fusiliers were wounded. Covered by early morning mist, the Fusiliers took their objectives relatively easy and unscathed. They suffered most of their casualties during the ferocious Chinese counterattack to remove them. As an eyewitness to the battle recalls, our attempts to make further headway and the enemy counterattacks to dislodge us invariably resulted in grenade-throwing battles at hand-to-hand -hand range. Perhaps it was during one of these exchanges that my father was hit. According to his own account, he had moved away from his platoon position to answer an urgent call of nature, only to be spotted by a Chinaman who tossed a bomb at him. On seeing his nemesis arching toward him, Father dove for cover but must have left a leg trailing high as he did so. His wound was very painful but far from faithful as he was struck by a splinter in the ankle. That my father decided that his privacy at toilet was more important than his life was referenced in an earlier entry in the book. In a letter home, a senior officer commented on the arrival of three replacement officers. Two of the new platoon commanders fought in the last show and will be competent enough, he wrote. The third knows nothing of war. He will not be with us long. I wonder if that third officer was my father, fresh from the sanitary environments of home, public school and the officer's mess. While in Korea, the Fusiliers suffered a casualty rate of 42%, with almost one in ten of its thousand-strong establishment killed. Father was one of a steady stream of necessary replacements, 
These comprised a mixture of reservists, wizened old soldiers from World War II, fresh-faced national servicemen, and adventure-seeking volunteers such as himself. When the Fusiliers first sailed for Korea in October 1950, the mood was light. The United Nations had almost driven the Communist forces out of the peninsula. The battalion was being sent on a police action to round up the remnants of the Communist insurgents. As one young officer remarked in a letter home from the port of embarkation, the Chinese appear not to be going to take a hand and the Russians seem to have gone suddenly tired. I've got 500 cartridges and a shotgun on the boat, so perhaps there will be some good shooting. He was referring to the fact that Korea had a healthy population of pheasant and wildfowl. He would have idle time enough to shoot a few and so enliven the menu in the officer's mess. On arrival at the dockside in Pusan, his brother officer observed the levity of the situation. It was very amusing this morning. We were greeted by one Negro and one South Korean military band playing jazz on the quayside, and a party of Koreans, all obviously pressed into service, waving Union Jacks in time to the band. The mood soon changed after a long and arduous train journey north in freight cars and just a month of training with other units the battalion was thrown into its first battle. The UN was feeling the heat of half a million men that the Chinese Communist Party had hurled across the Manchurian border. While on an earlier mission to relieve the Gloucesters, the Fusiliers were ambushed by a large force of Chinese, which they successfully beat off, for the loss of just five men killed. The enemy was not the only threat to the infantrymen at war. The Korean winter had arrived with a vengeance, and when not about their military duties, all ranks battled the cold, which reached an nadir of 22 degrees of frost. A soldier listed the multiple layers of clothes he wore, no doubt to assuage his wife, who must have read newspaper reports of the bitter cold. He goes on in his letter to describe his sleeping arrangements. If one digs a hole, makes one bed, and covers it over with one's big rubber cape, one can be quite warm. In time, these holes can be made quite comfortable by the addition of a charcoal stove, or something of that nature. Within a month, we hear words along the lines of, it will be all over by Christmas, quickly followed by stories about keeping warm in a purpose-dug hole, echoes of World War I. For most of the Korean campaign, the Fusiliers lived in holes and dugouts, which, but for Korea's mountainous terrains, were reminiscent of Flanders' fields. The fighting was of a similar nature. Nerve-wracking patrols into no-man's land at night, interspersed by vicious little battles against probing enemy attacks. And, of course, there was the infantryman's endless task of improving the defences by digging trenches, filling sandbags, stringing up barbed wire and laying mines. This latter occupation was particularly hazardous, as the regimental diary from the 20th of September 1951 reports. 1350 hours, message from W Company, mine accident, casualties, killed, Fusilier F. South, wounded, Sergeant F. Weston, Corporal V. Morris, Lance Corporal J. Clark, and one porter. Thousands of Korean civilians were employed to lug British Army stores over Korea's unforgiving terrain.
The battalion commander was quick to react to the news of the accident. Sixteen hundred hours. Message from commanding officer. No mining to be done without Royal Engineer assistance. Given a life lived cheek by jowl with high explosive ordnance of all shapes and sizes, and among tanks and other cumbersome military vehicles, it says much of the Fusilier's discipline and soldierly conduct that of its 93 soldiers killed in the campaign, only four died accidentally. Not that that would lessen the tragedy for their families. In the last days of April 1951, the glorious Gloucesters took the headlines for the defence of Gloucester Hill on the Imjin River line. Meanwhile, three miles to their right, the Fusiliers fought an equally attritional battle against overwhelming odds. On the eve of that battle, an officer wrote home, noting how the Korean Spring had launched an explosion of flora and fauna around his position. All sorts of flowers are appearing. The hill on which I've been living is bright purple with the flowers of scrubby little azaleas, which look very bright in the mass and show up well clinging to the grey craggy rocks. There is little else out except violets and lots of butterflies. In stark contrast to this pastoral idyll is the final sentence of an eyewitness account of the battle. From identification of prisoners we know that three divisions came against us, and there may well have been many more. As they came on, so we killed them. Some weeks later a young officer told his parents of his battle. Just a short note to let you know that I am all right. As you will have heard, the brigade was battered for three days, and lost half its men and all its equipment. The CO and several officers were killed, and a dozen others wounded. My platoon lost half its men on the first night, and I was wounded in the shoulder and the head by shrapnel. Fortunately, both were flesh wounds, and I rejoined the battalion yesterday. Don't worry, everything is fine. For every one of us, it was at least twenty of them. A number of fusiliers won awards for bravery at the Imjin, among them a DSO for Major Henry Wynne. The award was for fearless leadership, while badly wounded, in defence of a ridge vital to the battalion's security. He wrote to his mother, proud not of his award, but of those received by other in his company. As for his own award, he remarked, I am plagued with letters lately, a result of the beastly paper articles. Where the hell did the Daily Mail get that picture? As the Chinese retired to lick their wounds and a round of peace talks began, the Fusiliers dug in as part of a newly formed multinational division. In a letter to his wife, an officer noted the bureaucratic idiocy that plagues the frontline soldier during any hiatus in the fighting. Things go on here pretty much the same as ever, only more and more forms to fill in. We now have to send a form with at least six copies. Two in case one gets lost on the way, two for the waste paper basket, and two so that divisional staff officers can draw their pay with a slightly easier conscience. He then adds, A sixth sense just made me look up to see a large grey rat peering at me about two yards away. I'm afraid I missed him. This country seems to abound in unpleasant beasts including divisional staff officers, the latest thorns in our side. Oh, what a lovely war! The battalion's final action for Point 217 
wherein a Chinese grenade splinter struck my father's ankle, was fought one week before the Fusiliers' year-long tour was due to end. An advance party from the unit charged to relieve them arrived on the opening day of the battle to set up their shop. It appears that no one in authority thought it necessary to spare the hard-hit Fusiliers a further 20 men killed and 93 men wounded on the eve of their journey home. Again we hear echoes of those who lost their lives in the minutes before the 11th hour of the 11th day of the 11th month of 1918. There are no other creative attempts in Western society to bring this war to life in our collective consciousness, with the exception of one semi-autobiographic novel written by a subaltern of the Ulster Rifles that describes a patrol along the banks of the Indian River. There are no Korean War equivalents of 1917 or Ice Cold in Alex. There is no Saving Private Ryan, Fury or Midway. Yet the scale of the battles, together with the heroics and sufferings of those who fought, surely merit equivalent treatment. There are any number of Chinese and Korean films about this war. But why nothing from the West movie industry bar a comedy about a medical unit called M.A.S.H.? As you ponder that question, spare a moment for the men of the 1st Battalion of the Northumberland Fusiliers. An officer noted in a final note home, In the last show we had a clear objective. It was Berlin or bus. This war is being fought for something they call world peace, whatever that is. It is something few soldiers give a damn about. Yet despite their scepticism, the majority of soldiers did their duty, won their medals, survived or died. The end. We will be back tomorrow with our usual fare of Regency and Victorian news stories. This has been News of the Times and I am Robin Coles.